The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from godaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Our first guest on the line today, Matt Pinnell, the 17th Lieutenant Governor of Oklahoma. Oklahoma elects their Lieutenant Governor. Matt, welcome to the program. Hey, well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate the time. So, Matt, how has your family reacted to having their dad be an elected official in the public eye? People obviously... I'm sure you go to restaurants, people want to shake your hand or complain about something, probably more complaining. Um, how have they responded, especially the kids? Yeah, you know, we've got four kiddos, and, uh, you know, I was the the chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party, uh, run a bunch of campaigns before I was lieutenant governor. So, I, you know, they, they, they knew politics, they had been to political events, but this is different. Uh, it is different uh, when, when we do have people that, uh, want to talk to us about some burning political issue uh, in the grocery store uh, or a restaurant <laughs> from time to time. Uh, but, you know, when dad gets in the car and, and drives to, to the state capitol, uh, you know, it, it would be like me driving to work uh, at any other job. Uh, and so I am blessed from that perspective that the job doesn't uh, affect them too much. They, they think for the most part, they think it's cool. Uh, they like some of the, the events that I get to go to. A lot of the events they don't want to attend, political events. But uh, they're, they're from time to time, we get to do something kind of fun, and, and they like going with me to to some of those fun events. Do you let them know that you don't want to go to all the political events as well? <laughs> <laughs> he just shakes Chuck, his head. Chuck, you're not supposed to answer. You're not supposed to put him on the spot like that this early. So, and I'm sorry, you cut out there. What, what did you say? <laughs> Um, during COVID, you, you, you have really done what I have read. You have done a fantastic job on Oklahoma, Oklahoma tourism. Now us being here in Phoenix, Scottsdale, you know, we, I don't know. We're a bit snobby about tourism, right? I mean, you know, come out, play golf, see some games, but you've really pushed this. How has that gone? And how have you been able to attract the number, number of people because you've increased tourism? Yeah. Yeah, we have. So, I mean, Oklahoma, very unique state from a tourism perspective. Obviously, our Native American heritage and history is very interesting. Um, and I would say that the same for, for a state like Arizona as well. I mean, Arizona really leans into Native American heritage and history. Uh, you also have some Route 66 miles as well. So actually, I mean, even just talking this out, there's Matt, actually... Matt, what we have is spring training. Yeah. No, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And some golf, uh, <laughs> which I have uh, I have frequented a number of times, a number of your golf courses. So I, to, I like to say tourism is the front door to economic development. When you can get people to your state, whether it be a, you know, yes, a baseball game, playing around a golf, Route 66 for us, Native American heritage, uh, cowboys and Indians in some ways. When we can get people to Oklahoma, we sell really well. Uh, we have 39 sovereign nations inside of one state, which is actually pretty remarkable to think about. Wow. So <clears throat> that industry, you know, the, our tourism industry, it's the third largest industry in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, so when we can get people here, we sell well. 
which then we can have all the other conversations that we want to have with these people that, hey, yes, it doesn't take you an hour and a half to get to work. Uh, and we have very friendly people. Uh, we're very affordable. And, and when people get back in their cars and drive uh, back to wherever they were coming from, they have those conversations. Hey, I'm sick and tired of living in uh, that other city and that other state. And, and maybe we need to come back to Oklahoma and, and do a deeper dive because we may want to move there. We've seen a lot of that in Oklahoma, uh, one of the fastest uh, growing states over the last few years as, as far as in migration growth. Um, and that's something we're really proud of. A lot of people taking a look at Oklahoma for the very first time, some of that due to COVID. I mean, just people being sick and tired of being sick and tired in other cities and other states. And Oklahoma has reaped the benefits of that. Well, and, and you you have an enormous range of environments in Oklahoma, right? I mean, you have everything from yeah. desert to what, what you know, when you're down in southeastern Oklahoma, it's it's almost a rainforest. That's right. Um, but on top of that, you guys have invested tremendously, especially around the Oklahoma City area in things that draw people that make the quality of living there tremendous. It always ranks near the top of, of various mid-sized cities, quality of living index. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma city now is the 20th largest city in America, which, which it, it, you know, when you, when you say that, I mean, it, people are, are pretty uh, wowed by that fact uh, the, the modern frontier is what uh, it, they are trying to sell now in Oklahoma city, changing some of those perceptions to your point of what is there actually to do in Oklahoma? Well, yeah, we got 12 different ecosystems inside the state of Oklahoma, and we've built world-class attractions, uh, world-class quality of life in a lot of our bigger cities uh, in the state of Oklahoma to where, again, when someone visits Oklahoma and they see that, they're thinking to themselves, again, I had no idea Oklahoma had this. Uh, And again, if it takes uh, a, a traveling sports team or, or a conference for them to come to Oklahoma City or Tulsa or any of our other communities, small or large, we, we usually do a really good job of, of showing off. Uh, and and that, leads, that helps us lead to other conversations that we want to have. But the quality of life that we've built, uh, we can put that up against any major city in America today. We're with Oklahoma 17th Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell. Matt, um, so give people, what exactly are the responsibilities for Oklahoma's lieutenant governor? Yeah, so in Oklahoma, it's different in every state, but in Oklahoma, I'm president of the state Senate constitutionally. Uh, I don't preside every day over the Senate, but I preside a number of times throughout our legislative session. Uh, I sit on a number of boards and commissions. I'm on the equalization board, uh, which means I certify all the dollars that the legislature has to spend. Uh, but one of my biggest roles is I'm secretary of tourism, and, and that is not something that every lieutenant governor uh, has had historically, but I asked our governor for that role. Uh, I wanted to have uh, a job where I oversaw, I oversaw an agency, and I certainly have the, those uh, responsibilities as secretary of tourism with, this, again, as large of an industry as it is. And so I would say I spend about 50% of my time with the tourism department and the other 50% of my time with our Department of Commerce. Uh, Small business growth uh, historically in Oklahoma uh, has been a job of the lieutenant governor. Uh, The last lieutenant governor was kind of the small business advocate on the governor's cabinet. And I've kind of took that baton from our last lieutenant governor and still actively involved. You know, Main Street program that we have in the state of Oklahoma, I'm very involved in that. 
Um, and, and so that's kind of my portfolio, if, 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 if that's uh, the way to put it, uh, of, of where I spend my day. Right now, I'm at the state capitol uh, because we are, we're in legislative session February through May. Okay. And so I'm here most of that time uh, working on different pieces of legislation. Um, but uh, commerce and tourism is where I spend most of my time. What is some legislation in Oklahoma right now that's being pushed forward? that you're excited about? Yeah, you know, in Oklahoma right now, I mean, the big issue is, I would say, school choice legislation, which Arizona uh, has has been a leader on. Uh, the governor in the state has been trying to get that done for the last few years, uh, kind of expanding our school choice uh, inside the state of Oklahoma. We're also trying to do a big teacher pay raise. Uh, we have a sales tax on groceries in Oklahoma. We're, we're one of only 12 states uh, that still has a sales tax on groceries. We're trying to eliminate uh, the state portion uh, of sales tax on groceries. Those are a couple big issues. Um, I, I'm trying to uh, raise the cap on our promotional fund uh, to allow our Department of Tourism to have a little bit more money to, again, invite people to the state of Oklahoma. Uh, that's a bill that I'm working on this session. Uh, but the big the big issue that is kind of uh, holding up everything else right that's holding up everything else right now is the negotiation between the House and the Senate uh, on our education bills. Yeah, Matt, in that line, you uh, in 2022 launched a a look at Oklahoma Career Tech, a video interview series that showcases the education and employment opportunities the state's career tech system uh, provides. In working on educational issues around the country, Oklahoma's career tech, career and technical education system is a model for the rest of the country. Uh, how big a deal has that been for Oklahoma's growth? And what would you tell other states that are looking at investing in that area? Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe. Um, I, I, I hope Mike runs for president someday down way down in the future. But Mike's been in Oklahoma a number of times over the last few years. And I think he gets it. I mean, we should be talking about technical education, technicals are tech schools, just as much as we're talking about college. I, I need just as many kids uh, in Oklahoma and frankly, every other state to close a skills gap that we have in this country. Uh, we, we have far too many kids graduating from high school and college uh, that uh, don't even know how to change a tire or know how to read a ruler anymore. And that's a problem. We, we took shop class out of high schools decades and decades ago, and, and now we've woken up uh, to, to the harsh reality that there's many small business owners in Arizona and Oklahoma and in, 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 in every state in between that is in desperate need of skilled labor. Uh, and in Oklahoma, our career tech system is, is a model. It is because we have infrastructure across the state of Oklahoma and it's locally funded. Uh, they don't rely upon our state capital that much for funding. Uh, and, you know, it's very nimble. We can put curriculum in place uh, and get people trained within, within 18 months and then put them out into a workforce and make over $100,000 a year. And I'm not just talking about carpentry and, and uh, you know, plumbing and those type of, uh, of skills, which we, de we definitely need. But I'm talking about nursing programs, accounting. Uh, our career tech system in Oklahoma now is, has multiple uh, career paths uh, that we're very excited about because that's helping keep more homegrown talent in the state of Oklahoma. Your, your high-tech sector, we have just about a minute left before we go to break, but your high-tech sector's actually been growing really fast. 
is coding a part of that as well? Yeah, it is. And we have a, a number of accelerators and incubators around the state of Oklahoma uh, in that coding space uh, that, again, you talk about uh, the number of jobs in this country uh, in that coding space. We have aviation and aerospace is the number two industry in the state of Oklahoma today, which is I think will be the number one industry in Oklahoma uh, within the next 10 years. Again, from a digit, from a manufacturing perspective and coding, a lot of those jobs are needed in that aerospace industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. The jobs of the future, Chuck, are not simple, but you don't need a four-year degree for a lot of the best ones. I was reading the other day, there's like 120,000 plus shortage of welders in the country, yeah. and those pay six digits. Yeah, yeah. Those, are, those are fantastic jobs. Folks, we're going to be coming back with more in just a moment from Matt Pinnell, the 17th Lieutenant Governor of Oklahoma. I want to touch on the transformation of Oklahoma from blue to red. It's one of the more striking stories Republicans should take note of. Breaking Battlegrounds will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily, you're paid monthly, and there are no fees. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. And by investing, you can actually do well by doing good. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10.25%. Just log on to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-Y-REFI-24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. So Sam had a great question before the break. Um, Oklahoma has been one of those states that has done a transformation from being a blue state to a red state. What do you attribute that to? I, you know, a lot of it uh, started nationally. You know, the national narrative, I mean, a, a Democrat party um, uh, that, that went so far left that you had, you know, blue dog Democrats in Oklahoma, very rural parts of the state of Oklahoma where, you know, you had very conservative Democrats. That blue said, dog, hey, blue collar Democrats, they, right? Absolutely. That's that's absolutely right. You know, seven, seven, we have 77 counties in Oklahoma, 70 plus, probably 70 of them are, are pretty rural. And, and a lot of those counties 15 years ago were heavily Democrat uh, counties, but those are conservative Democrats. So th- those were Democrats that they were registered Democrats that they could vote for their local sheriffs. And when they saw, when they started seeing this national narrative from Democrats, uh, I would, you know, back then I was the state Republican Party chairman in Oklahoma back then. I would start going into some of these very Democrat counties and they would be re-registering as a Republican right there. It was kind of that enough is enough, uh, you know, kind of that Reagan line, right? The Democrat, I didn't leave the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party left me. And and that happened in Oklahoma Uh, and it happened very quickly. Uh, this was a Democrat registered state uh, less than 10 years ago, and now it is completely flipped. Uh, and every single county 
uh, is now red. Every single county has a, a more Republicans than Democrats. Uh, some of the urban areas are more competitive. Uh, that, that's a trend that you're seeing in some other states. Uh, but, but it really started nationally, guys, that, uh, you, you know, your, your blue collar, to your point, your blue, blue collar Democrats in rural parts of Oklahoma were like, this is not the Democrat Party that I grew up around. This isn't the Democrat Party that my mom and dad told me about. Um, and if this is the new Democrat Party, I'm getting out. Well, think about uh, that. So you, you were chairman of the Oklahoma Republican Party, what, a decade ago, decade plus? Decade ago, okay. yeah. <laughs> Don't you wish you were dealing with the Democrats then than today? I yes. mean, they've gone further left. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, you almost wish we had those Democrats today. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, that, that's right. And, and you know, it, it's. It, now it's from a candidate recruitment perspective and, and, and some of the culture wars that, yes, we're in. Every led, every cycle is different. Uh, but, but man, you, you're right. 12 years ago, 12, 14 years ago, I was dealing with, with, uh, with, with, with a different Democrat party. Uh, you, you got some urban Democrats in Oklahoma that are carrying the mantle, that are carrying the, the narrative and the talking points from a national Democrat uh, perspective. But in about 70 plus counties in Oklahoma, uh, that that narrative doesn't work and it doesn't work in most of our urban areas either. Uh, but it is pretty remarkable how much Oklahoma has changed over the last decade. We're with Oklahoma Lieutenant Governor Matt Pinnell. Matt, when you were elected, you're the 17th lieutenant governor. Did any of your previous lieutenant governors talk to you? What's the best advice someone's gave you when you took office? That's yeah. that's, that's proved to be true. Sure. Uh, you know, I still, yeah, the, the good point. Uh, I still have the note from the previous Lieutenant Governor, Todd Lamb, uh, you know, who better, who better to give advice, right, than the, the person that, that, that I'm following. He's also served for eight years as Lieutenant Governor. And he had a note, uh, you know, uh, be, be careful and guard yourself about busyness and being busy just to be active around the state. Uh, and how true that is. I mean, I, I remember getting elected in this position and I just I wanted to be everywhere. I wanted to say yes to every event. Uh, and I've had to learn how to say no. Uh, I've had to learn how to delegate. Uh, it is still, uh, you know, hard at times. Uh, I, I, you know, I've got four kids and, and a wife at home and again, and, and my wife runs a small business. And so she puts up some very good guardrails for me already. But just being busy is doesn't mean you're being effective. Okay, and that in the public or private sector, uh, I think that is a very good lesson and one that uh, I continue to re- try to remind myself of on a daily basis. Matt, Matt I, I have to ask because Chuck and I have worked on races pretty much all over the country at this point, and I have to say, Oklahoma political events have by far, by far, the best food. Oh, of yeah. Any yeah. political events in the country. Yeah, that's, that's important. It's delicious. Yeah. Yes. And you've, you've, you're still a fit guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I need to know the secret of how yeah. you've what pulled is the this routine? off. Yeah. What is the routine? So, how how it, have you gotten rid of all that brisket? It, it, yeah. And I eat a lot of brisket. I do. Um, I run. I'm a runner. Uh, I don't bike. I don't. I, I lift. I don't really lift a whole lot of weights. It's running. It's stress running. I run a lot. I probably run. So my whole mantra is 5K every other day. Okay. So I run it. I run a 5K, at least a 5K, 5K every other day. Uh, some stressful weeks I run every day, but but I don't put that pressure on me. But I, I run a lot, uh, and 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 that has kept 
that's kept most of the weight off is just running. What is the one advice you would give a first-time candidate for statewide office? Something that you thought originally should be, but you learned through the trail, this is what should happen. Yeah, I mean, for a statewide, um, you know, it is a money game. Unfortunately, I I have to say that. Um, You know, a lot of times with a statewide race, it's who makes the best 30-second movie, you know, who makes the best 30-second TV ad. Um, And, you know, you have to develop relationships uh, with the donor community across the state um, uh, to be able to raise those resources to run a statewide race. And which means you have to have your pitch down. You know, if you if you if you get a donor on the phone uh, and you think you're going to have a 15 a 15 minute conversation about energy policy, you're going to lose that donor pretty quick, at least nine out of 10 of them. Matt, Matt, we have have just about a minute before we go to break, but I thought you brought up a really important point there when you talk about going around and cultivating those relationships with the donor community. A lot of times our base is dismissive of those business interests and the people behind them. And that's a huge mistake when that when that's the case, isn't it? it? It absolutely is a mistake. And that's something that in Oklahoma, we've done a pretty good job of as a Republican Party is make sure our, our, our grassroots base understands how important those businesses are, uh, how conser- in a lot of ways, how conservative they are as well. We, we, comb- we make sure we combine those two so that the grassroots understands how important the corporate world is, exactly. uh, how important that is, and, and how important those jobs are. Matt Pinnell, 17th Lieutenant Governor, who avoids busyness, from Oklahoma with the city. Matt, thanks a lot, my friend. It's so good seeing you. Um, Man, it's great seeing you. How do it's folks How do folks follow you on social media? Yeah, I mean, so I'm on. I'm at, very active on Twitter, uh, LTGovPanel. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, but uh, probably Twitter and, and Facebook, Instagram as well. Those are kind of the three social media channels that we're, we're usually posting on a daily basis. We'll see, you at the, uh, we'll see you at the turkey hunt this year, my friend. Have a great Absolutely. See great. you, buddy. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Breaking Battlegrounds, back in just a moment. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. On the line with us next, Congressman Barry Moore of Alabama's 2nd District, a veteran and small business owner and former member of the Alabama State House. Congressman, welcome to Breaking Battlegrounds. Well, thank you. Good good to be on. Congressman, um, this week, Biden's press secretary, Jean-Pierre, said that the fentanyl crisis is basically the Republicans' fault. Could you explain to our audience why this is just a ludicrous statement? Well, we just know that not to be true. I mean, not that this administration would ever lie to the American people. But, <laughs> you know, 50 years ago, Nixon started a war on drugs uh, with 6,000 deaths in America. We had 107,000 deaths 
in the last 24 months since the Biden administration have taken control, or not have lost control of the U.S. southern border, I should say. And so that fentanyl is the number one killer, but, you know, for young Americans 18 to 45 right now. And, and uh, it's just unbelievable to me that they can get up there with a straight face and say somehow that's our fault. We have brought tons of opportunities for them to go to the border with us, to see what's going on down there, to observe with their own eyes. And there are testimony after testimony that simply says that Biden has lost operational control of the U.S. southern border, and it's killing American people. And not only that, we're trafficking children for other countries into America, into slavery. It's unbelievable. For the first time in recorded history, uh, people are dying sooner in this country than they used to, and it's really a, a result of the fentanyl crisis. Um, no but, doubt about it. No doubt about it. Um, reading this morning, the Republicans are going to come back from this um, brief um, recess and come back and propose some border um, measures, some strong legislation to secure our border. What are some of the things that will be in that bill? I think one of the most impactful things is just the asylum claims and how that they're painting that such a broad brush right now. We're going to say these children that are coming here and, and, and people that are coming to claim asylum, they need to remain in country. Like Trump had to remain in Mexico policies, right? And right now, guys, when you come across that southern border down there, our border agents are nothing more than concierge. They just process your paperwork. They make you eligible under some claim for taxpayer-funded subsidies, and they give you a cell phone to call you on your court date, but 95% of those people are not taking our calls. And so this the process where we just say, okay, you go remain in your country, and we're going to try to return those children to their homes, those are things that just need to happen because they know if they come here, we're going to take care of them, we're going to give them government, government subsidies with a cell phone, and we're going to ship them to wherever. The problem with that is that just that encourages people to flow across the border. We've got to put an end to that. So that's one of the things I think is most impactful. One of the guests on our show had a great idea. Maybe you can push this to be in the bill that unless you come to a port of entry, immediate your asylum request is denied, period. You got to come to the front door, more or less, as she called the port, port of entry. What do you think about something like that? It's just immediately dismissal of your asylum claim if you don't come to a port of entry. I think that's an excellent idea because, like you said, that automatically shuts the flow off. It takes the pressure off the border agents and puts the people back to where they should be coming, which is through our port of entry. Congressman, the Biden administration just announced that in response to the end of Title 42, they're looking at opening uh, refugee processing centers or asylum processing centers in uh, throughout Latin America. I, I guess the concern is if if it's like you just said, it's a remain in whatever and we'll process the claim. That's one thing. But this strikes me with this administration in control that you're just going to end up with U.S. chartered flights bringing them here instead of them having to travel to the border. Yeah, you know, we're just going to remove one step for the cartel. It, it, but the, they, the cartel always knows how to bypass us on these issues. And, and guys, you're right. I mean, if we set up those claims and just start flying them directly into cities, then who is taking custody of those people when they land, especially the unaccompanied minors? And that, that's a huge concern for us right now is we have thousands of children that are being trafficked a day. And I was at the emergency intake center in Fort Bliss. I'm filming these buses leaving with these kids, and we're shipping them to Google addresses and not background checking the people we're shipping them to. Oh, my goodness. Are you I, kidding? Are they really no, doing that? No, I'm not that? kidding at all. We don't background check those people. And we have some people that say they're sponsors for 30 children at a time. And, guys, they're nothing more than sex traffickers and child slaves. And, and, and our government, we are – we are part of the process. We are basically the slave ships of the 1800s right now. And it's the Biden administration shipping these children to people who are going to do God knows what and God knows where. It's unbelievable. And, and Congressman, I think you made a great point because a lot of folks out there don't understand you do not come across this border without the cartels 
permission. You have to pay them. You have to be part of that. And that often ends up in sex trafficking, indentured servitude, a lifetime of pain and suffering for these people. Uh, we have just about a minute before we go to One break, minute. Congressman. How do how do folks keep up with you and your work? Uh, how do they stay on top on top of the great stuff your work you're doing? So they can follow us on Facebook. It's Rep Barrymore, and then we got a, also we got Instagram. It's US Rep Barrymore, and uh, we got a Twitter. My personal Twitter got taken down after Trump's got taken down, but I have a, an official Twitter <laughs> that still has a little blue check mark. I would encourage people to follow us and see what's going on behind the curtain in D.C. 30 well, seconds. And, and Congressman, I got to say, I, I am impressed that you have the Instagram account going. Uh, not enough of the elected officials on our side have Instagram. No, they do not. I, that's, yeah, and you know, it's, it's one of those ways that we just we try to do what we can to let people know what's going on. So that's just another tool for us. In, in reaching a whole different demographic than those other social media. That's fantastic. Congressman Breaking Battlegrounds will be coming back in, with more in just a moment from Congressman Barry Moore. And you're clear. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, are you concerned with stock market volatility, especially with Joe Biden in office? What if you could earn up to a 10.25 fixed rate of return on a secure collateralized portfolio, a fantastic way to protect your money from the risk of the stock market? Check out our friends at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or call them at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Congressman, this week, um, House Republicans um, passed the Limit, Save, and Grow Act of 2023. Um, This will return spending to fiscal year 22 levels, save taxpayers $4.5 trillion, and allow, which I think is the most important aspect of this bill, allow 1% annual growth, which is really going to be a big step to taming this budget. Um, tell folks more about this so they understand what Republicans have done, because, of course, whenever you propose something that saves money, and in this case, you're still doing 1% growth, so you and I and Sam would consider that a growing budget, Democrats are saying dogs and cats are falling from the sky. People are going to die. They're going to starve. You know, anytime, anytime you don't give Democrats everything they want, you've just Every, cut everybody. Everything yeah, out everybody dies. Them. So tell tell folks yeah. tell folks about this, please, and 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 why it's important. Well, guys, the sky is not falling, but you know, and and I and I got to tell you too. Yeah, we're just you know going back to pre-COVID levels. I mean, the president himself has said, "Hey, you know, COVID's over." And so, you know, yeah, we're cutting spending a, a pretty good clip. But honestly, guys, I mean, I don't want to pat ourselves on the back too much. It'll be one of the biggest spending cuts in history. But we ran away spending under COVID. We spent more money on COVID than we did fighting World War II in today's dollars. So we have to dial back that spending. And so, yeah, they use fear. They always use fear. But the things we're doing are making sense. Clawing back the unspent COVID money. Doing away with the 87,000 IRS agents. You know, nobody wants the IRS being weaponized and continue to just come after the American taxpayer. And this government, when they had money and they continue to abuse power, they're woke and weaponized against conservatives. And so why on earth would we just give them more money to abuse the American taxpayer? Yeah, I, I think, too, when you're talking about this stuff, what I liked about the the Limit, Save and Grow Act is that it is very re- – I mean, it's an, it's unbelievably reasonable. You're not cutting anything. You're leaving room for growth, but room for the economy to then outgrow those spending increases. And in 20, 30 years, whatever, we would eventually erase the debt that way, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, over time, and that's how you do it. it. You know, we've had this debate. I'm a House Freedom Caucus guy, and we've had this debate behind closed doors that, you know, we're not doing enough, we're not doing enough, but you had a valid point. One piece of the pie at the time, we didn't get here overnight, and they abused COVID to get to where we're at, but we, this thing just doesn't stop with today. We've got appropriations, and we've got other things, other tools in our toolbox, if you will. I like to call it our war chest, to come after this runaway spending. And, guys, there is no government program better than just cutting taxes and regulations and letting the American economy, capitalism, create the jobs in the private sector. That, my friend, grows the government. Government or grows the tax revenues and grows the economy. Government, we simply print money in D.C. When we spend, it's just ink on paper. And as we do that, the dollar that you work for every day, wherever you're working, gets devalued because we're just producing trouble up here. Ink on paper, and it devalues the American consumer's dollar. And when we see that in the grocery store, at the gas station, never mind our domestic energy policy and how horrible it is, we can talk about that at another point. But anything we can do to get government out of the way, free the country to grow the economy, there's no system in the world like capitalism. Although it's not perfect, it is a really good system. If we let it go, it'll do great things. We've seen with the last three presidential administrations, Obama said 2% growth, 2.5% was the new normal. Trump cut taxes, cleared the way for a lot of regulatory agencies, got them off of people's backs. We jumped way up over 5% again. And now after the you know post-COVID recovery, we're seeing the, the GDP growth rate under Biden slip down back into that 2%, under 2% range. How do how do people not see this, and how do we make a better case to the American public that we need to cut taxes and regulations and create that growth for their future? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite quotes, quotes was Ronald Reagan said, the government's idea on the economy is when it's moving, you tax it. If it keeps moving, you regulate it. When it fails, you subsidize it. And if we would get the taxes and regulations out of the way, Trump proved this with his tax cuts and, and just cut – he just cut away a lot of the regulations – Man, the industry and the business, the economy will grow, and it'll, it'll do what it needs to do. And I don't know how we do a better job of talking about it. It'd be nice if we had honest media in this country. That would be a good step in the right direction. But, but honestly, just the people need to realize that there is no program that the government can do like a job. And so if we put a family to work, we put individuals to work, there's something about that self-esteem and that opportunity. And they grow, and, then, and the business owners, if they've got more money, they reinvest in the economy. And guys, listen, I'm, I'm in the garbage business. It wasn't a trash business before I got elected to politics. I tell everybody that's easy, trans, easy transition to make. But I saw how the government just crippled industry. You know, And if we could just get government out of the way, it's one of the reasons I ran. Man, the, the free markets will do wonderful things. And, and, and Reagan said that a rising tide raises all boats. I believe that. Everybody's better when we got less government, less taxes, less regulations, and a free market. Well, absolutely. I mean, for example, in this bill, in this bill, the Limit, Save, and Grow Act, there is, I didn't know this, that was passed, obviously, and you're pulling it back. There was an electric vehicle tax break, which if families making $300,000 can get a $7,500 tax break to buy a luxury electric car. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, how, I mean, how do they justify that? There is no justification. It just cripples the economy. And, and, and you know, it concerns I mean, listen, guys, don't, Joe Biden, those guys, they, the party has been hijacked by these environmentalist lefties. And uh, Biden's energy policy from day one is he just shut down the Keystone Pipeline. That killed 12,000 American jobs, 8,000 union jobs. And then he gives Putin a green light on Nord Stream 2, which I believe caused him, allowed him to invade Ukraine, if you will. And then he begs OPEC to increase production and wants to buy solar panels from China. China's going to control a lot of the rare earth minerals to build these batteries. We're going to continue... 
to make those guys our, our overlords in energy if we continue to cripple American economies and try to go to this green initiative where we know the technology's not there in time. But, hey, listen, we've got clean energy. We need to produce it here, and we need to let this economy grow, and we don't need to depend on any other nation. I think we learned from COVID. We better become independent, not only in energy, but in production, manufacturing, and all the above. We're we're speaking right now with Congressman Barry Moore of Alabama's 2nd District. Congressman, uh, one of the things you, you touched on there, the EVs and, and all these subsidies, Biden's administration just announced new CAFE standards that basically make it impossible for manufacturers to continue manufacturing internal combustion vehicles. The problem is that neither the mining capacity the battery building capacity or or the um, the energy capacity are there to actually achieve those the, what they're trying to do in any kind of time frame like they're trying to do it. How do we push back on that? So I think we just have to take a common sense approach. And, and you know, I, I've talked to electric, electric cooperatives in my district. They're like, man, for every F-150 electric truck you plug in on the grid, we knock four houses, four neighbors' houses off. And so, you know, people have to realize this is not the panacea. It's not going to be the solution. And it's like when we were growing up, y'all remember we're going out the door and the parents would say, hey, turn the light off. And at the time, we looked at them like, why? It was an economic decision. The older we got, yeah, it's great if we're saving energy, but it's about dollars. And you cannot, you cannot force economic – the government never does well trying to force decisions like this. Private sector needs to drive these decisions. It does not to be – anytime government gets involved, we kind of mess up supply and demand curves. And the problem is we're going to create a lot of demand with no supply. Prices are going to go through the roof, and it's going to make it harder on actually – the middle class and and the lower class Americans who just can't simply afford a sixty thousand dollar electric vehicle. Sixty, you'd be lucky. Most of them are over a hundred. But uh, I, I assume so Congressman, you, I haven't been shopping. Hey, give, us <laughs> hey, give us a little time on inflation up here, buddy. We'll have that thing to one hundred fifty grand before you know. It. <laughs> and Congressman, I can tell by your voice, and you're from Alabama. There is no doubt where you grew up. You got yelled at for leaving the door open more than once. The door. I was not raised in a barn. Mama reminded me of that. <laughs> okay, tell us a little bit about fixing the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act um, or FISA. What needs to be done to fix that? It seems to be taking a little bit more interest in people's private lives than it should have. Yeah, you know, it's. I think we learned, guys, and I, I tell you, I believe this truly. If if Hillary Clinton had won, we had no idea how weaponized and how abusive agencies within our government would be against conservatives. I mean, we knew the IRS under Obama kind of came after the Tea Party. We saw that kind of unfold, I think. But, man, once once they started spying on Trump's campaign and they used these FISA warrants and the Patriot Act and all this stuff, the more and more, and then they go to these judges and the, the FBI just abused that power. So we're now looking at how do we limit and make sure that there's oversight, whether it's the inspector general or whoever. Hey, guys, we got to make sure that this government cannot continue to spy on American citizens. So there's a lot of things at stake. Jim Jordan asked me to join Judiciary, and like I told you guys, I was actually a garbage man. I said, Jim, I, this is out of my element. He's like, hey, look, man, Grassley's a farmer, and the Senate does a great job. I think you'll be a great team player and be able to help us. But, but yeah, as we watch this stuff develop, I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is really an interesting committee. But also, you realize just how abusive government has become, whether it's the ATF or the IRS and certainly the FBI, spying on Trump's campaign the way they did. If Clinton would have won, we'd have never known any of this stuff. So no. if nothing else, I think one of the great things that 
Trump did is he pulled the veil back on the abuses within the swamp itself. Interesting tidbit on Grassley. I was talking to a friend who knows him quite well and says, no, Grassley actually has a working farm. The son runs it now. I mean, he's actually a farmer. You know, some people, they're gentlemen farmers, as you know, probably plenty of those in Alabama. He's actually a real farmer that produces something. So little tidbit there on Grassley. Um, let me ask you this quickly about Ukraine, then I want to move on to the ATF. Um, we've given them $113 billion. Um, you know, I, I, look, I think there's there's legitimate gripes that Ukraine is a, has a corrupt government and country in many ways. It's also legitimate because it's not mutually exclusive that we just can't let Russia do this type of thing because it doesn't stop at Ukraine. But we've given them $113 billion. Isn't it time that we just go to our NATO allies and say, guys, the next 113 is all on you? I mean, what do we do for the taxpayer, but at the same time tell Russia this is unacceptable? Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, I think one thing, and, and I was in Ukraine before before all this happened, guys, before the invasion, mm-hmm. and I was talking to the parliament and some of the leaders, and I said, are y'all worried about our energy policy and the Nord Stream 2 pipeline giving Putin money to make war? And I could tell, especially from the parliament, that not so much the embassy, but from the parliament, those guys will tell you, that was going to be a huge problem. And then the way we did in Afghanistan at the end of August, the way it fell, at that point it triggered, then Putin knew that, that the U.S. is weak and that this is a time to move. And so, yeah, we, 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 they mobilized, they invaded Ukraine. And as we're sitting here, I'm, I'm looking through this process and I'm like, $113 billion is a lot of money for a young democracy, you know. So Ukraine's pretty young, and so there needs to be some oversight. But I certainly agree, and I've been against the funding for the, I, the whole time because I, I think there needs to be oversight, and I think there's abuses because this is the same group of people that told us $4 billion was too much for a border wall. And right. yet we spent $113 billion in Ukraine, and we still don't know if the American taxpayer is going to win on this deal. So for sure we need some oversight. So I've been, let's don't spend any more money over there. But I think you've got a valid point. Hey, guys, the rest is on our allies, and we need to sit back and figure out where all this money went and try to claw some of that back if it's been abused or if it's still out there. Because I have talked to soldiers in, in Ukraine, in, in, the, in the zone, if you will, and they're just parking equipment at night in fields, and people are picking it up. We really don't know where it's all going. Well, it comes so fast, and there's no structure, right? I mean, you're a business, you're a businessman. You ran garbage. You had routes, right? Unless there's a plan, you're picking up the wrong garbage. And guys, it's like the COVID money. I mean, seven hundred eighty-three million went to federal prisoners. Fourteen thousand hundred. I mean, fourteen hundred dollars stimulus checks went to some Japanese citizen. You know, when you push money out of the government so fast, dude, corruption's bound to abound. They can't even manage it when they've got time to look it at. Man, a Japanese citizen gets can get one, and I can't. What do you think? <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, no, if you're paying your taxes, buddy, and doing like you're supposed to, you can hang it up. Quickly, we have one minute left. Tell us about what you're doing about oversight of the ATF. Yeah, so we're on this pistol brace thing, man. We're about to, to, to – we feel like the ATF's kind of abusing that rule. The pistol brace has been around for over a decade, and all of a sudden they're going to try to make felons out of American citizens. And we think there's about at least 10 million people who own these braces who are going to become felons on May 31st. So we're going to try to, to pass a law to, to tell the ATF, oh, no, you don't. But we've had some hearings on that, and, and uh, we've had the director in a couple of times, and uh, we're going to start reeling some of this runaway crazy guy. Uh, thank you, by the, Congressman, for doing that, because obviously I have a lot of friends who are big you know, Second Amendment supporters who have a lot of weapons. The, Democrats are so incomprehensible on this issue because they don't understand firearms. They, they don't understand how they work, and this is how you get these attacks on things like the pistol brace. Well, they also don't understand human behavior. That's yeah. the biggest problem with this. That's exactly right, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Congressman Barry Moore of Alabama, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciated having you on the program. Look forward to having you on again in the future. Uh, Folks, you can follow him at Rep Barry Moore on Twitter or or on Facebook. Congressman, thank you again, and thank you for all the work you're doing. No doubt. Thank you, guys. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Fantastic programming guest today, Chuck. Really has been wonderful conversation so far and another one coming up right now. On the line with us, Ken LaCourt. Uh, he has a fantastic substack that you and I have been following for some time now. Uh, and he did what I thought was one of the more reasonable insightful pieces on what happened with Tucker Carlson. Treat your viewers right. That's what you called it. So tell us, what did what did Fox do to him? Well, you know, the, the, the tricky thing on this is we don't really know yet why Fox News fired Tucker Carlson. Um, you know, we know it was abrupt. We know that on Friday he said, I'll see you next Monday. And then on Monday they pulled the rug out from him. And, and minutes later, sent out a press release. So it was a it was a sandbagging on him. Um, my gut doesn't tell me that there's going to be some great, oh my gosh, uh, uh, terrible thing that he, he's done. If I had to guess right now, it is just to the Murdochs, he became more trouble than he was worth. The New York Times does a bashing story on him. Uh, you know, basically every month they they right. they redo <laughs> the Tucker Carlson racist. He's a sexist. He's a bad person. And uh, in, in, a, in a crazy, crazy way. Now, you know, one thing, though, that, that the Murdochs probably know is the media will always choose the top Fox News person and paint him or her as an awful person. Do you right. remember when Bill O'Reilly was the absolutely worst person in the world, according to the mainstream media? Yes. Oh, do you barely, a human, barely a human being, barely a human being. He just does that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. He was barely a human being, according to the New York Times or O'Reilly. I mean, he was just the worst guy in the world. Did we yeah. Lose? So in, in this instance, we don't we don't we don't really know. But what we do know is that Fox is having a trust issue with its audience. Um, and uh, how do I say? I think the the current leadership there um, got there not through making big bold actions, but that they were the management that. When bad things happened or, you know, they were the ones that, that kept their fingers off off the knives. They were the ones that didn't upset the, the boat. When you have when you have corporate restructurings, it's usually the people who had gotten in arguments with other people or pushed something really hard. They're the ones that get wiped out and you're left with a more bureaucratic group, let's say, than than the original than the original people. And so I, I think that there's a lot of, of so you've got basically now. You know, Rupert and to an extent his son Lachlan running it. It's it's basically a family business, even though technically, you know, they don't own the whole thing. They own enough of it to make it a family business. And many of the other executives at Fox News now are are what you call lever pullers. Yes, boss, I'll take care of this and and, and do that. And you've seen kind of a lack of of vision between 
Fox understanding its audience and what to do with it. You saw them make some bobbles in the in the last election, not felonies. Um, you know, the Arizona call, for instance, was something they never really fully explained. They, uh, you know, Chris Wallace brought a very very liberal point of view to the to the debate. Um, um, in the post, Trump saying the election was stolen, they they were caught because all their reporters were saying, look, we're looking into this and there's there's nothing here. Every time you dig in and I've done it myself and, and now half of your viewers hate me. But every time I've <laughs> dug into a this election was stolen and these machines or the or the Sharpies there, this or that, it always has come up dry for me. So they had their news division doing that, but then they had a lot of their hosts winking and nodding and, be, and, and playing into that. And it left a dichotomy where now a large number of Fox's viewers thinks Fox is lying to them. And now when you do this, you take a, you know, Tucker Carlson was in people's houses every night of the week for an hour talking to them. You, you, you get a relationship with somebody like that. They yank him out. All of a sudden, your best friend is not in your house anymore at 8 p.m. And nobody's telling you why or apologizing or saying, well, but at least he did something awful. It's uh, it's it's a bit of a disrespect to their viewers. So what you're a former Fox News executive. What happens to the conservative media news outlets? What, what, what do you what do you see a trend going in the future? Does Fox do OK, which I think they do long run. I mean, I just think that's what happens. But, you know, are you really going to go on OAN, um, you know, things of that nature? I mean, what happens? So, look, Fox is in a mathematically wonderful position right now. Uh, half the country likes hamburgers. Half the country likes hot dogs, right? And there's a bunch of other channels selling hamburgers, and they're the only real ones selling hot dogs. So what restaurant, you know, they're going to get about 50% of the cable news audience. And when you look at them over time, they get about 50% of the cable news audience. And CNN, MSNBC, and Headline News, they split up the rest on that. The only real way that could be changed, I mean, nobody's going to be like, all right, I've had enough Fox News. I'm going to start watching CNN. I mean, I mean, you know, no, no human being no one. is, is going to do that. The only option, the only two possibilities are one over time. We know cable news will 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 reduce itself in, in popularity. Oh, your kids aren't going to be watching cable news. They're going to be watching the computers and, and having Roku and crap hooked up into theirs. But but, you know, but. But my dad is never going to not do anything else. He's going to sit there. He's going to sit in front of his 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 uh, chair that he's always sat. And he's going to grab his remote and he's going to turn onto one channel. So the only really potential ups- short term, I'd say 10 year upsetting of that apple cart would be if one of the conservative channels took fire and, and, and got better. Uh, right now, um, so OAN is basically fizzled and is out of there. News Nation is 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 a is a new one that most people haven't heard of. That's really trying to be kind of like the old Fox. Hey, we got liberals, we got conservatives, we're fair and balanced. We have Hannity and Combs. Correct. And then and then everybody talks about Newsmax, which is the everything Donald Trump and Republicans say is a hundred percent right, and you're an idiot if you don't believe it. And positionally, it makes sense for them to be to the right of Fox. But Newsmax does every single other thing wrong. Uh, their <laughs> graphics are terrible. Their hosts aren't all that interesting. Their, uh, their, their reporters look like they're little kids who are pretending to shave, you know, wearing their dad's coat. It, it just and and <laughs> that, that is the best takedown of Newsmax I've ever you know, heard. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of true. true, man. It's, it's totally it's, true. It's, it's, like, it oh, true. it's like, you don't know, just see like the little five-year-old boy pretending <laughs> to shave himself. And he's got the, he's got Su- the suits two the, sizes too big. 
Exactly. And and positionally, they've gone, with the exception of Greta and maybe a couple other hosts there, they've they've just been like, everything Republicans say doesn't stink. And, you know, while people kind of want that and they say they want that, they really don't. I know hardcore conservative people who are like, you know what? It feels to me like a GOP propaganda outlet. And I'm hard. I, I mean, I'm talking like hardcore. Right. Conservative I, I, I still so, go to LD meetings. I get enough of that. Yeah. in person <laughs> so so you know they so it's like if cnn actually got fairer and and it would take them 10 years to be accepted on that that could be a problem i'm not worried about that because they just won't do it um but if if newsmax got smarter they could be a potential um, well, um, and, and and you know i've told tucker that he should he should try to get the old band back together and 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 see what he can do you know to to uh, to to find find Greta, see what O'Reilly's right. up to. You know, he's on on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> I, you, you get Tucker at eight o'clock on some cable channel with I, a couple of those other people. You take away a third of Fox's news. You have a billion one hundred percent. So I tell you what, I would love to see is those guys combine their efforts with some of this, like Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, the the left leaning. But, but, but you still need, you still meaning So for example, as you being a Fox News executive, one other point. So you know, I have a lot. You know true blue Republicans like you who just will not give Newsmax or these other ones a time of day. Just first of all, the branding of the name now just says, these are whack jobs. These are not my people. I don't want to talk to them, right? I don't want to hear from them. So, you know, part of this seems to be a branding problem as well. So I think what you're saying is right. If they can somehow figure some, something out like that, that probably really takes off. And I do think there's room for that and Fox as well. Yeah, I do. Look, conservatives deserve to have more than one big news channel. Correct. That's 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 a thought. Now, now look, it's it's not easy to launch a news channel. The, you know, you could argue that Fox News was one of the last successful ones done, and that was twenty seven years ago or something crazy like that. Rupert spent a billion dollars at the gate on that, just in distribution. It is hard to you. You can't just buy that. You can't just say, "Oh, we now have a channel, and 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 we want it to be in seventy million households across the country." You can get onto Sirius. You can get onto some of the others. You can try to buy one and flip it. But now a lot of of, of cable cable operators have gotten wise to that and written into their contracts uh, that you can't do that. That's what um, uh, that's what uh, current TV turned into Al Jazeera. You know, certain things like right. that you just can't do anymore. So if you're a super, if you're a billionaire type investor, you know two things. You know that, again, my kids aren't going to be watching cable news, so it's a, there's a limited window on that. But you also know the short-term money that these, and when I say short-term, I mean, I mean at least a month, or excuse me, at least a decade, that you make huge money in, in, in cable. I mean, Fox News probably is netting around $2 billion a year. That's with a B. That's $2,000 million a year. That's after they pay their bills and, and their sexual harassment lawsuits and O'Reilly's <laughs> salary and Rupert's plane. That's uh, a massive amount of money. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, you know, CNN, they're, they're, they're down in the dumps and MSNBC is nothing. Those two operations combined profit about $1.2 billion. So you got three let's just call it $3.3 billion yearly profit for three companies. That's just that's 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 big money. And that makes me laugh more when I read stories like I have the puck about how CNN's cutting travel expenses. Like, you know, we're going to cut our travel expenses, hundred thousand dollars a year. This is going to turn everything around. <laughs> Dude, you know, we, we always did it at Fox News, too, because part of it was, you know, I worked there under the Roger Ailes era, uh, era. 
And, you know, Rupert would say, Roger, if you make this much more money, you get this much more of a bonus. And we're talking millions of dollars of bonus, right? So he always hit his number. So it was like, yeah, we're, we're using, you know, it's like, if you look at it and it's like we're making money that you just couldn't even imagine seeing a spigot of money this, this big in the world. And, you know, we're, we're, we're photographing or photocopying paper on two sides to, to save four cents here and there. That's just, that's, that's the wonders of corporate America. Two final questions before we let you go for the sure. day. First of all, in the conservative media universe, who do you see a rising, who's a rising star that people should keep an eye on, in your opinion? You know, I had a, I had a talk yesterday with one of the Fox News hosts, one of the primetime hosts, who was like, who do we get? You know, <laughs> you know, you look around, you're like, you know, who could replace Tucker? Who could be that? I mean, you know, do you really want a Candace Owens? Do you want a, all of, you know, it's like, I love Brian Kilmeade. He's a good guy, but nobody... Nobody's going to be like, oh, I got to I got to get home no. to see what Brian no, Kilmeade no. is he, saying. He's doing exactly what he should be doing. Um, to me, I, I, I don't know if I would call them uh, rising stars or, or conservative. Uh, to me, the two interesting choices that Fox News could shake it up. But I don't think they want to shake things up anymore. I think they're a bunch of bureaucrats now. One would be Jordan Peterson. Oh, and you know, you'd probably have to pay him 50 million a year. And he's not a I'm going to give you a monologue like like Tucker, but Imagine Jordan Peterson coming into your house doing interviews on there. Right. He is wildly popular among the same people who should be and the future people who should be wildly popular with uh, with with Fox News. Hey. Um, the other one would be Ben Shapiro, um, um, who's, again, got his own deal. He's a fast talking this, this and that. Uh, um, but one of the smartest conservatives out there and says things that you go and click to hear him say. Those are the only two out of, out Ken, of the entire gonna, market that I know of. I'm going to throw someone else in there because we were kind of talking about sure. this before the show today, but what about a guy like Vivek Ramaswamy coming off of a presidential run? He's entertaining, he's interesting, and he, you know, he and, brings and, a different And the reason Sam brings that up, we were talking, I've had nine calls the past two weeks from who are just Republican voters. They're not volunteering for a campaign. They're not defending Trump on Twitter. And they have personally asked me about him. I mean, I, I, I just huh. called me. And that's the question they asked. I said, tell me about him. I find him really interesting. You know, guys, you cold cocked me on here. I don't think I've heard <laughs> him say five words uh, uh, there. He, you know, you hear like, oh, some guy you've never heard of is running for president. I'm like, I'm going <laughs> to run for president so I can just say presidential candidate on my resume. Please do. Um, and announce um, it he here. may be great. I, I, <laughs> hey, look, here I in just, Arizona, just, it's like 25 bucks and you can do that. Cam. Speaking about running for office, since <laughs> apparently you may, you're considering now. Before we let you go, what do you think? So we have really, a, it seems like a DeSantis-Trump war, but I think we have some good candidates like Tim Scott and others. What do you see coming to this? Is Trump just going to get this no matter what? Do you see somebody else possibly rising and making this interesting? What are your two cents on that? My two cents are that Trump is probably at around, uh, among Republicans, is probably in the high 40%. Let's say 45 to 48%, they're gonna vote for him. Uh, which, which means that there's 52, 53% who won't vote for him because they've had enough, in their opinion, of his nonsense. Um, if that is split up by five candidates, Trump wins Correct. and he is the nominee. And then it's like, oh my gosh, you know, is it is it crazy Trump or senile uh, senile president? You know, it's it, 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 it's a it's something crazy. Um, I think that DeSantis right now is the only person who could who could be the alternative to to Trump. And for him to be successful, 
and, and these people won't drop out soon, but but in the after the first couple states, just like what we saw in the Democrats last year when Bernie Sanders started started taking it away or different. Eventually, if 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 the the path forward for DeSantis and I don't think anybody else can do it unless something radically changes is that the first couple states, the other Republicans see what's going on and and all of their supporters say, get out of this race or you're going to assure that Donald Trump is still in it. And and if and if he could and if it was a one to one DeSantis, it would be a tight fight on that. Um, but with a, with five other candidates drawn five percent apiece, Trump walks away. Well, Sam, any other questions? Where no, you it's distinguished great. Guests go. Great stuff. We, Ken, how do people find your writings? How do they find you on social media? Tell us. Let's uh, spread the news. Sure. Best thing is, as my name is Ken Lacourt. It's L-A-C-O-R-T-E. I've got a Substack uh, that I, I write up media stuff and whatnot, and I've got a, a YouTube a YouTube page that I'm rebranding to called Elephants in Rooms, which is just talking about uncomfortable concepts that you're not supposed to talk Fantastic. about, but in a friendly and interesting way. Well, we'll look forward so, to checking and we, that one and out. And we will, we will be pimping that on our social media so people go visit it. Excellent. We appreciate Excellent. you. Excellent. And, and and I'd love to do this anytime. You guys are fun to chat with. Thank you. We look forward to having you back on soon. Have Absolutely. a great weekend. All right. Take great care. Guys. Sam, good guest today. Yeah, no, really, really good guest today. I, I thought all all three of them were fantastic. I thought they brought really good viewpoints to the show. Um, it's been an interesting week in politics. It is. Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and run the clip from Randy Weingarten, the, probably the worst the enemy of kids of America. Go ahead. The problem is that teachers actually teach kids. So if it wasn't, if, if, I mean, look at what happened in Omicron when we were able, because of testing, we we're able to actually keep schools open. Some schools shut when there were too many teachers absent, but we were able to keep schools open because we understood and used testing as a way to do that. So I think what happened was that people were fearful. You're absolutely right. But even though, thank God, kids didn't get as sick as adults, adults were getting sick and adults were dying. And so we were trying to figure out. And I'm not saying that. There, look, there were people all across America who were taking different positions than you know, I was at the AFT, including some of my members, and you saw some of those things. But we were trying to figure out what were the mitigating strategies that were needed to keep schools open. And that's what, you know, and, and that's what we tried to do from April 2020. And what I produced, I went and I testified in Congress yesterday voluntarily, and I produced much documentation proving all the things that we tried to say. Now, that's why I keep on using the Cuomo administration, because frankly, Governor Hogan, Governor Cuomo, Rockefeller Foundation, lots of governors, they were working in a really different way than the Trump administration was. And the Trump administration I, I, got, did a great job stop in terms this? of vaccines. But in terms of giving... This woman is awful, and every word she's saying is a lie. She wants to blame the Trump administration. She, she literally lies every day about this topic. Every and, single and, day. And the problem is she doesn't realize in 2023 
We have so many comments of her taped, recorded, written that contradict what she's trying to spin now. Well, but but she knows that the liberal media is going to spin this right alongside her. They're going to help her try to do that. The problem is, you go back, I pulled up an article when we were talking about this. I pulled up an article from the Foundation for Economic Excellence from summer of 2021. Okay. And there she's she's still saying, oh, we need all these preconditions before we can open schools in the fall of 2021. And they're pointing out all the ways at that point that she was opposed to any kind of opening. And she says, if you go on with this clip, she says, well, we didn't get all the information from Trump like we did from, you know, Europe did from their leaders. Bull. That is absolutely bull. Heritage Foundation did a study also about that same time period, looked at 130 studies on COVID, its impact on kids, its impact on adults and all this sort of thing, the risks for reopening schools. 130 studies all said it's not a problem. You can reopen schools. It's safe. The The issue with adults is largely with adults who are, by the way, too old to be teaching in our schools. You don't have a lot of 85-year-olds running around public schools. Okay, so every word she said there is a lie. And the fact that that some people are trying to let her get away with this. I mean, if she could, they'd all still go back to blame Bush. I mean, anything to, to avoid taking credit for their own bad actions. And accountability is not there. It is not there. She serves one constituency only. She serves a union. She serves her teachers. Yeah. And they are a radicalized group that runs it. They don't even particularly represent most of their teachers all that well. This is a far left radical organization that led the way. She was the number one voice for keeping schools closed for two and a half years. I mean, let's be blunt about it. She would have kept schools shut down in 2022. Oh, absolutely. No, no question in my mind. If she had control and there was no pushback, your kids would still not be in school today. They would still be on remote learning today. The only reason she's doing this is because they got caught. She is the worst we have in society, especially when they tried to pretend that they truly care about these children's education. Oh, now, yeah, look, I can say I think she's a sociopath. I mean, I really I, I look at her and I see someone who is actively harming the children of America repeatedly. It's not just the COVID well, and, closures, and, but and, and this so brings much up, else. And this brings up an interesting point. So, folks, you can disagree for policy, and, and they're bad, right? But you can't take the Marjorie Taylor Greene approach like, well, you're not a real mom, you're a stepmom. I mean, yeah, that's no. the type of stuff that just absolutely ruins an argument. Stop right. stop making such ridiculous claims and insinuations, okay? It's just, that's not fair. It's not right. It's not even intellectually sound, right? One last item before we break off today. So, um, um, Dan Clifton crunched some brand new IRS income migration numbers from 2020 and 2021. So, as we all know, we have a big presence in Florida. Florida gained a staggering $63 billion in income from migration in those two years. A 5% boost in state personal income. Texas was second biggest state income gainer at $17 billion. The big losers? California, New York, and Illinois. Manhattan alone lost $31 billion in income. Yeah, it, it's look, the the real clear reality of America today is that red states are good places to live and work and build a business and a family and blue states are not. That's all there is to it. And the the, the argument that look, it's only the the kerfluffle around Trump and the elections and all this other stuff and the media landscape 
if those things weren't in the way, if people were given an honest mm-hmm. accounting by the press of what go, what's going on in this country and around the world and that kind of thing, there, Democrats would be run out of office in all 50 states. But we can't get past it when we have people pushing, well, you're a stepmom, so you're not a real mom. No, that's garbage. You have to stop with that kind of stuff, and we have to focus on the basics. Just the, the issues. Just the issues. Just the issues. If, if people knew the actual issues, Republicans would have majority yeah, vote. You're safer walking down the street in a city in a red state than you are in a blue state. Your kids are safer in school in a red state than a blue state. Your kids are getting a more fundamentally basic, balanced education in a red state versus a blue state. All of this stuff that they're talking about now, I mean, it's, it's telling that the school lobby, the, the teachers union lobby, rates schools on teacher pay, but not on outcomes. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. It's credible. Well, folks, thank you for joining us this weekend. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please uh, check us out at breakingbattlegrounds.vote and all our social media. Share it with your friends. Give us a good rating. Have a great weekend. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it.